Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Well, thank you so much, worship team, for leading us into the very presence of God this morning. Well, good morning, everyone. I am so thankful that you chose to be here on the last Sunday of September of 2019. Uh, If you are new among us today, we certainly want to extend you a very warm uh, welcome. Thank you for sharing part of your weekend with us and uh, want to give a shout out to those who are joining us online as well from wherever you may be watching this morning. We are currently in a series that we have entitled uh, At Our Core. We're talking about what we are as a church and the things that we do. We're, we are talking about our mission and, and the values that help us live out our missions. We, we spent the two, first two weeks dealing with our, our mission statement of connecting people to Jesus uh, and to one another. And I have to say, uh, yesterday at the women's retreat, they lived out the mission. I loved it. Uh, nearly 300 women here, uh, people connecting with each other. But then I also hear that 12 ladies gave their life to Jesus Christ. So that is absolutely amazing. <laughs> That's the mission. That's living out the mission. And so ladies, thank you for heading out of the park and setting the example of what it is to fulfill the mission. Well, last week we kind of jumped into our core values. And we said uh, there's a big difference between core values and core beliefs. Uh, As a church, we have six core values. It's relationships. We we value relationship, spiritual growth, service, generosity, outreach, and excellent. And and, and last week, we kind of spent the whole morning dealing with that one value of relationships. Like, we value relationships, and we're going to encourage those kind of relationships that are real and honest and authentic and rich in love for one another. And, uh, and that kind of just tells you why we work so hard to generate uh, those kind of relationships around or help to develop those kind of relationships. Well, this morning, we're going to jump into our second value as a church. It's, it's spiritual growth. Why is it that we value spiritual growth? Uh, because what we say is we want to follow Jesus on this transforming adventure of faith, spiritual growth. How does spiritual growth happen, though? That's the million-dollar question. In fact, 100 years ago, the church was trying to wrestle with that. How do we grow our church or congregation spiritually? 500 years ago, the church wrestled with that question. How do we develop the church and and the people of God spiritually? And here we are in 2019 still wrestling with the question, how do we develop and how do we have uh, spiritual growth take place in in our own uh, church family? We know that we're not just interested in converts. We want disciples. I mean, isn't that what Jesus kind of taught us? Uh, the birth of a baby is so exciting, obviously. We announce births all the time, all year long, and we celebrate, and rightfully so. New parents are thrilled. Grandparents plan big celebrations. Aunts and uncles gather around and uh, help celebrate. Friends cheer on the family. It's a big deal, and rightfully so. But we know there's a problem if a five-year-old is still acting like he's an infant. Uh, We know there's a problem if a 15-year-old is still learning how to crawl. We're not just interested, by the way, in converts. We're interested in 
and making disciples. Remember Jesus' final words to his disciples, right? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Yes, we are committed, obviously, to seeing conversions. We're committed to connecting people to Jesus. We're sold out to the idea that it's only through Jesus Christ that sins can be forgiven. We're absolutely, it's our DNA. We believe that Jesus died on the cross, bled, suffered, and died, and then was buried and rose again for our sins. We're committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we're also committed that the gospel goes deep into our lives. See, God's goal is not just your conversion. It's your adulthood. It's your maturity. It's you becoming more like him. When a woman gives birth, it's not over. It's just starting. Because the goal is adulthood. The goal is to raise up children to become adults. And the same is true about brand new believers. We, we don't have any desire to see baby Christians remain as baby Christians. We want them to be able to see as God sees and, and respond as God responds. We, we want to develop Christ-likeness in us. Dr. Ellen Redpath, who was a pastor of the famous historic uh, Moody Bible Church in downtown Chicago, made this statement back in the 50s. He said, the conversion of a soul is the miracle of a moment. The making of a saint is the task of a lifetime. Uh, there's a, a theological word that we use to describe this process. We, we throw it around in Bible college and in the seminary. The word is sanctification. Uh, that Greek translation um, means holiness. It, it means to be set apart. To be set apart for the use intended by its designer. So in a sense, a pen can be sanctified. It can be set apart for the purpose of writing. That's what the designer made it for. Uh, glasses, eyeglasses can be set apart, can be sanctified when it's used to help you see better. And the human being is sanctified when we live according to the purpose and the design that God has for us. So what is spiritual growth? What is spiritual maturity? It is a process that begins when, when people accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. He or she is born again uh, of the Holy Spirit and chosen to live in Christ. And the Apostle Paul said that spiritual growth is an ongoing process. Wouldn't you think that the Apostle Paul, after all those years, could finally check the mark and say, I've done it, I'm spiritually mature now. But the Apostle Paul, as much as we idolize him, we think, oh, I'd love to be the Apostle Paul. These are his words in his journey. He says, not that I have already obtained as this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Even the Apostle Paul understands he hasn't arrived. It's a lifelong journey. And spiritual growth, by the way, is not just performing religious duties or religious obligations or religious demands. In fact, lots of times those can impede, believe it or not, your spiritual growth. We, we become hurried Christians. Uh, Pastor Dave and I were talking, he's reading a book now called The Hurried Leader. Sometimes we get so busy that we miss out 
on the important by doing what's just good. Spiritual growth is, is growing. It's growing in grace. It's growing in God. It's experiencing God at a, at a consistent level. And spiritual growth, spiritual maturity is not achieved because you've been saved a long time. Maturity does not come because you come to church every week. Spiritual maturity is when you look at life and live life from God's vantage points. You will, you will not discover how spiritually mature you are in the walls of this church. You just won't. You'll discover it in your everyday life, how you live outside of these walls and how you respond those day-to-day activities of life. When it's no longer just a book of truth, but it's truth in your life, where he becomes real. And you begin to grow spiritually and, and you mature as a Christian and all of a sudden God just seems to leap off the pages of Scripture. That's one of the things, one of my greatest memories as a grandson of my grandfather I mean, as a little boy, I've shared those stories before. As a little boy, I, can, I just remember every time I was out of his house, he'd say, come on over here. Now, you can't call me this, but he used to say, Donnie. I hate that name. But I, Donnie, I love it when he says it. And come, come. And, and, and it's like, God, just leap off the pages as he was growing in his faith. When you become when you grow spiritually, when you become spiritually mature, it's no longer about what the pastor said on Sunday. It's about what God said to my heart and how it's going to affect me this week. There's a, there's a story in the Bible that's recorded in two of the Gospels. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 13, 1 through 9, and in Luke uh, chapter 8, um, 4 through 15. We know um, that Jesus is the master teacher. And so he's been traveling from town to town, and, and, and the crowds are growing, and they're growing, and they're growing. And, and uh, there's one particular day that he's down by the shoreline, and the crowds are so large that he gets out and gets in a boat, and he just you know, goes offshore a little bit so he can speak to the whole crowd that uh, is there on the shoreline. And when he begins to speak, he, he tells this very thought-provoking parable. In fact, when I read this parable, there are times that it kind of, it almost is scary at times. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, will you turn to Matthew chapter 13? We're going to look at that particular reference uh, of the story of Jesus. Matthew chapter 13 this morning. The Bible is fairly new to you. Matthew is the first book uh, in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 13. And we'll read those first uh, few verses of Matthew chapter 13. Are you there? Okay. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds were gathering around him that he got into a boat and, and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. The birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky soil where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came out, the plants were scorched and they withered because <clears throat> they had no root. Other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up, and well, then they were choked. Well, the plant was choked. 
Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or even 30 times what was sown. He who hears this, let him hear. The story being, uh, you know, the farmer is, is spreading seed. It's, it's like the gospel. It, I mean, it gets spread, it gets shared out and about, and, and some fall on the path, and it gets trampled on, and, and uh, you know, birds come along and they eat the seed. Right? It, it has no effect. And then there's other places where the gospel gets spread, and it seems that uh, there's a little bit of soil there, and it, it, it begins to come up because there's not much soil there, so when the sun comes out, when those hard times come, phew, it just withers away. Then it says, you know, some hit on rocky soil. Sometimes the, the, um, the seeds fall in there, and it looks okay. In fact, it springs up. It looks green. It it's like, seems like everything else is growing up, but then all of a sudden it gets choked out um, by all the other plants, the, the thorns that are there. And that's the one. It's that particular one I go, what does that mean? Because it looked so good when it started. And then it got choked out. Hey, the one that was amongst the thorns and kind of grew, but before it got choked out, like, is that, is that a Christian? Is that, is that a non-Christian? Is that a saved person? Is that not a saved person? I mean, they certainly looked like they were Christians. I mean, they began to grow and grow, and then all of a sudden they got choked out. We may refer to them as converts, but they weren't disciples. Because in that passage, we discover that real faith endures. One of the ways that you know faith is real in people is that it endures. So the question is, how? How do you plant the kind of faith that is world-changing, temptation-escaping, persecution-overcoming? How do you plant that kind of faith so it grows and it produces a hundred times more? One of the ways that we do is we drive the gospel deeper and deeper into our hearts and lives. See, some people treat the gospel as though it's just, it's your entry level into uh, Christianity. It's, it's the beginning of the Christian life. But we grow in our faith when we actually go deeper into what the gospel is because it begins to change our thinking. See, some people treat that the, uh, the gospel is like, it's like a diving board. You just dive and you go into the pool of Christianity. But the pool is actually the gospel. That's how we actually grow in our faith. Because we never grow beyond the need of the gospel. We grow in Christ. And when we grow in Christ, it's because we're getting deeper and deeper into what the gospel is. The gospel begins to saturate our hearts and changes the way that we begin to think. In John chapter 15, um, Jesus makes one of these great I am statements. In fact, why don't we just quickly turn over there. John chapter uh, 15, where Jesus compares himself to a vine. Um, John 15. Jesus, this is Jesus speaking, right? I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So that will even be more fruitful. Uh, you're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can't do anything. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away. And wither, such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my word remains in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory, that you may bear fruit, showing yourself to be my disciple. John's given the analogy of, of pruning, you know, bushes. We, we get that whole idea of, of pruning, and Last, uh, I confess, I'm not much of a gardener. In fact, I'm no gardener. But last year, there was a sale on rose bushes. So I thought, I'm going to buy some. So I planted two rose bushes, and the reason I bought those is because one of them actually had a flower on it. So I thought, at least I can stick that on the ground or give a little color in the front yard. I hoped, I was just hoping something would happen to it. So this year, as there's these brown sticks coming out of the ground, I was like, well, where are the roses? Come on. And finally, one bush had this long three-foot green stem come off it with a puny little rose. But I liked it because it was actually higher than the weed that was in front of it. And I realized, I think part of my job was to prune that back so it could give nutrition to the rest of the bush. And so because I hadn't done it and, I, and that little tiny puny little rose just shriveled, I said, enough's enough. I dug them up and I threw them in the garbage. <laughs> now, I know you plant lovers. Don't come after me that I killed a rose bush. That's just, that's just the way I do things. I'm not good at pruning where people, where the bushes can get nutrition. And, uh, but they kind of got choked up with some other plants. Pruning, by the way, is a very painful experience when God prunes our life. I, um, my sister down in Florida, across the street, uh, their neighbor, they have this beautiful tree. We call it the Garden of Eden tree. It's so spectacular, and every two years, he cuts it down to the stump. Like, the, the tree stumps are about this big, and it's just massive, but he cuts it down. I go, oh, what a shame. But every year when it comes back, it just gets bigger. It, it's amazing because he prunes it back. He cuts the tree back. But I know that when it comes to pruning, when God prunes in our life, it's not easy. In fact, I don't like pruning. I don't. But I know God didn't save me so that I could be a, a good preacher or something. No, he saved me so I could get to know him. And for me to get to know him, sometimes it, it requires a little bit of pruning. Now, maybe you're in that situation right now. Maybe you feel like God is just pruning you and it's painful. You don't like it. I get it. I completely understand. I'll tell you right now, you know what God's pruning me with? See, I have this tendency to find my identity and, and, and being busy, doing stuff. That's my, kind of my identity. I, I kind of thrive on um, that relationships are really good. 
Right? I, 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 one of my weaknesses is, you know, I, I want people to be happy. Who doesn't want people to be happy? And so you throw yourself, tie yourself in a knot. And, and what I'm learning is I, I try to put my identity in that. My whole identity is, oh, that people like me. Oh, my whole identity is I have a personality that, you know, can really connect with people. Or, you know, I, I, I graduated from seminary in Washington, D.C. I had this opportunity to, to be a youth pastor at, you know, 22 years old in a really fairly large church in the Washington, D.C. area. And it's so easy to put your whole identity in all that. And then God comes along and he prunes that, no, 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 that's not who you are, and chips away and prunes. And it's not always easy. In fact, times it just gets painful. But that's God's pruning in our life. And God will prune those things that sometimes I just love to do and, and find my identity in so I can get to know him actually better. And yeah, it can be painful at times. But what it produces can be 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 times better for the kingdom of God. As you read through this and you're just reading that whole analogy about pruning and the vine and the branches, uh, you see this whole area of sanctification, this painful process of tearing up the roots of our flesh, but then anchoring them in the gospel, bringing all the different parts of our lives under the conquest of the gospel. Listen, as a church, if you go to any kind of mission-minded church, they will say we're all about reaching the unreached people groups. And, and around the world, there's, there's, there's tens of thousands, or probably millions of people who we consider unreached. They, they've never heard the gospel. And so what do we want to do? We try everything we can to make sure the gospel gets to those people so they can hear the life-changing transformation message. And as I began to think about that, I thought, how many of us, well, actually, I began to look up Donald Collard. Donald, how many unreached places in your life have you not applied the gospel? What part of your life has the gospel not penetrated very deeply and caused change in you? The unreached parts of our life where the gospel has not had an effect. I brought some balloons here to kind of try to illustrate spiritual growth. There's there's two kind of spiritual growth. There's the manufactured spiritual growth, but then there's more of a natural spiritual growth. So this is kind of like, I brought this balloon, has no air in it. I, I look at it like that as, you know, somebody who doesn't know the Lord, right? They're, obviously there's not spiritual depth in them. They've, they've never been filled up. They're just kind of going along. And, but then someone meets the Lord. Someone comes to know a relationship with Jesus. And, and they get filled up. But you know what happens with balloons like this? They keep them up. They keep them up. People have to bat it up. Stop cussing, right? Get more in the Bible. Why are you going to places like that? You should be serving more. Like it's due. It's just due. You got to do just to keep yourself up. It's manufactured. And then all of a sudden, one day, someone just cracks under the pressure because they know they can't keep it up anymore. And then all of a sudden, you hear people say, I don't think I even believe in God anymore. I, I've, I've tried the God thing. It doesn't work for me. Because all they've done is they've been trying to manufacture some spiritual growth by doing, doing. And eventually, you get worn out with that. So how do you produce a spiritual growth 
where it allows you to stay up and thrive. Because it doesn't happen in manufactured spiritual growth. Because what you end up doing is smacking and kicking. Tithe more. Stop this. Serve here. Don't go to those places. Get up early. Get up earlier and pray. Spend longer in your body. Get involved in a small group and you're, you're trying to juggle all these things. But here's the fact. External demands does not make changes in a person's life. It's all manufactured. It might help you conform. But somewhere along the line, so often people break under the pressure because I can't, I can't keep bouncing. I can't keep it up. Because that's what we thought spiritual growth was. By all the do's, do, I do, 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 do. I don't do that, I don't do that. And you're juggling around all of a sudden. You're just, I can't do this anymore. It's unnatural. You know, the Apostle Paul, in Galatians, I think it's Galatians chapter two, he tells us about this whole thing that he was doing. See, he had this manufactured spiritual growth. He was staying so busy. In fact, if you read Galatians chapter two, he says, okay, I, um, I, uh, He's like, okay, I'm trying to make people happy, all of his peers. In fact, in that particular chapter, it says he's, he's even doing more than any of his peers. <laughs> he's advancing beyond anybody. He's engaged. It says he's zealous for all that is happening. And yet you're reading Galatians 2, like, but it was empty. Like he was doing, oh my goodness, he was doing, 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 doing. Manufacturing it. And then... You read along, you find, well, it was all empty. It was futile. I don't know who said this. I wrote it down. I forgot to put the person's name down, but so much of our busyness is a cheap anesthetic to deaden the pain of an empty life. I'm juggling. I'm juggling. Gotta keep busy, gotta keep busy, gotta keep busy. So I want to encourage you, slow down. Personally, purposefully, maybe di discipline yourself just for a few moments of solitude with God. Cultivate this discipline to spend time alone with God. Take time to go deeper. I, a year and a half ago, I, I took the course that many of you are taking right now, EHS. The biggest struggle I had with that course was those moments of solitude. And they really challenged us, like, take, just take two minutes of quiet be, before you pray or before you read your Bible and let God just speak to you. I'm like, oh my goodness, two minutes. I'd look down, I'm like, oh my goodness, only 30 seconds. Like trying to stay quiet before the Lord so he could talk. See, external change is not what fills the soul. It's changes within that fill the soul so it can thrive. And in fact, I don't even think external changes even pleases God because I think sometimes we think that's what God came to do for us, that we can just keep balancing the ball up in the air. No, no, he came for far more than that. He came that we might have life and have it abundantly. He didn't come to keep us busy. Threats and promises go against the grain. 
So the question is, are we just being religious or are we spiritually alive? There's that manufactured, but then there's also that natural, kind of organic spiritual growth where you begin to start seeking God because you love God. You're overwhelmed the fact that he loves you. See, it's not natural for us to demand to our kids. We don't say to our kids, okay, I need two inches growth tomorrow. Come on, let's, let's go. Come on, come on. Well, it's ridiculous. You can't demand that. But yet we will do that with the Christian faith. External changes will not fill your soul at all. This is one of my concerns for us, for me, and for us as a church family. Concerns me that we may be very good at making religious people, but are we making spiritually alive people? That's the question we wrestle with. I mean, how do people get to the point where they keep themselves filled up without being having to be smacked around to stay up? Well, it says right there in John chapter 15, abide in his love and God's love for us. And see, true love cannot be commanded. You love because you were overwhelmed for what God's done with you. See, here's the gospel secret. It's when we focus more on what God has done for us than what we have done for God or what we possibly can do for God. That's the gospel secret. The focus on what he has done for us. This is hard for me. I, 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 I struggle with this particular statement I'm going to make all the time because I'm a doer. That's my personality. I do things that make people happy with me. And I translate that into God. So if I do this, I know God's going to love me more. But here's the fact. There's nothing that you and I can do that can cause actually God to love us more. And there's nothing we can do that can cause him to love us less. But boy, that goes against my grain. Because I'm always trying to prove God why it's good to have me on the team. <laughs> right? In 1 John chapter 2, we don't even have time to look at it this morning, but John talks about the different stages of, of growth, and he talks about young children, and then young men, and, and you older fathers. That whole idea of development along the way. And there are just different stages, it's true. And, and, and sometimes I, I find it challenging, and, and sometimes I fall into this, by the way. I don't just say other people, but sometimes, I, you know, sometimes we older Christians, you know, maybe we've been experiencing God a little bit longer, we can be kind of critical for those who are brand new Christians. What? He's doing what? He's been saved for eight days. You should know better. Like, we would never expect our eight-year-old to think like we do at 35. No, they haven't had the life experience yet. And so Paul, or John, talks about these growth, these periods of growth. As you go from a young child, you become a young man, you become an old father. And life transforms you. 
In fact, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, because some people, I think, forgot where they had come from. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he said, remember, by the way, where you have come from. He said, some of you were adulterers, some of you were fornicators, some of you were swindlers, some of you were cheats. But, but, you've been washed in the blood of Christ. And it all changed. Sometimes maybe we have to be reminded where we have come from. We're on this journey life-transforming journey, by the way. And so John uses something that we all can relate to, those different stages of growth. He says in there, like, I I write to you, you infant babies. I write to you toddlers. I I write to you teenagers. You know, when he talks about those little babies, those babies in the faith, they, they have life. Uh, They're vibrant, but they are in desperate need for people to help look out after them. They're new. It's okay to be dependent on others. But boy, when when you've been around and know the Lord for 10 years or 15 years, that's when it begins, okay, somewhere along the line, you've got to be able to begin to grow your own faith. Where it's not always someone else's job. It's your area of faith. In 1 John there in chapter 2, again, he talks about teenagers. Things began to change. It's interesting how he talks about that. You were young children, but now you become a teenager in your faith, and things change a little bit. Like It seems like all your prayers aren't necessarily being answered like they once were. And it seems like as a teenager, you're beginning to have to wait on God to, to do things. And, and then you read that, it says, the reason you're in that stage is to help you to learn how to overcome evil, he says. It's like those young men, those young ladies, those teenagers, that's when you learn how to battle. How to battle evil. And walk with God. Or you battle with the peer pressure of what people think. And I realize some of us, maybe when we were first saved. We, we saw some of the greatest miracles that God ever did. I mean, he was like, God was looking after us, confirming our faith, and then we become a teenager, and like, well, what happened? He used to do this because God is, God is growing us up, changing us, and he wants us to know his word, so how we can overcome the evil one. Those battling years now, the thing is, what sometimes is a shame is that sometimes people, you know, maybe they've known the Lord for, I don't know, 10, 15, 20, 25 years, but they're still in the stage of a teenager. Some actually are still in the stage, sometimes, of a baby Christian, just completely dependent upon everybody to fill their spiritual needs. Where the stage of growth somewhere along the line, as you grow from a young child to a teenager to an adult, we begin to learn how to feed yourself. But some, maybe, of us are still in those teen years, even though we've been a Christian for years along the way. Because ultimately, God wants us to grow up and to mature. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul talks there in verse 9 and 10. He talks about the things that we have not seen, the things that we have not heard, the things we've never said. He says, when you begin to fall in love with God, 
when you're in love with God, all of a sudden, as you are growing in your faith, you begin somewhere along the line. Things begin to change where you begin to, oh my goodness, I, I begin to think the thoughts that God would think. Like they're, they're not thoughts from the world. Or I, I, I begin to hear things of God speaking to me that I never experienced before. You, in fact, you will never experience them, even sometimes as a young child, until you get to that spot where you are spiritually growing and maturing, where you begin to hear from God like you've never experienced before in your life. And you'll never experience those until you enjoy those stages of growth. And that's why we value spiritual growth so much, because we know there's so much to experience and knowing God. So why mature? Why, why do we emphasize spiritual growth so much? Because we'll know him like we've never known him before. We'll know him in ways that you will never know him as a child. You'll get to know him in ways that you would never, that's beyond just knowing him as a teenager. You begin to think and hear what he hears and speaks what he speaks. And by the way, this church cannot cause you to grow. It can be um, a greenhouse to provide an environment for you to grow, but the church cannot make you grow. That's where somewhere along the line you begin to decide for yourself, you know what? I'm going to get to know God. I'm actually going to spend time in his word myself personally. I'm going to actually spend some time talking to God. And I'm going to actually spend some time letting him talk to me. As I get to know him. For us here this morning, for some of us, maybe the first step of the process to spiritually grow is just the place of priority of some quiet time before God. Just quiet time. I'm not saying, oh, I've got to get up for one hour and listen to complete silence. No, just start. I, I encourage you to start with a few moments, even a few minutes of quietness before God. Let him just speak to you. As you think of him and who he is, as you get to know his word, because we're so busy. We're busy people. And that's the one thing that we just seem to push out is our time with God. You know, for us, maybe it's that quietness, solitude, maybe even for some, a little bit of obscurity. To replace, by the way, this is for me, to replace for the popularity and activity and impressing and pleasing others. Maybe we just need those moments of quietness before God. Listen, we live in a very restless, impatient world we have little time for preparation and less time for meditation and worship. We feel like, I feel like, that I have to be active and energetic and enthusiastic and humanly effective. We can't understand for the life of us how inactivity or weariness could be a way that God would actually speak to us. It seems to be futile, to be honestly, and foolish without plans and purpose, to be busy, 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 busy. And so I want to encourage you. I speak to myself. I, I want that we cultivate the discipline of just spending some time alone with God. 
We value spiritual growth here. We don't want anybody to just remain a baby Christian. There's so much more to experience with God and to know Him in ways that you've never experienced. Things that will never happen if we don't grow. It's a lifetime journey, by the way, of getting to know God. And I personally like checkoff lists. I like to-do lists. I like where it says mow the lawn, check, done. Eat my breakfast, check, done. Study for a sermon, check, done. Spiritual growth mature, check, done. That's what I want to do. But it's not that way. It is a lifelong journey. Getting to know God. To be mature. I wish it was easy. I wish it was as easy as checking off the list, but that's not. It will continue until we take our last breath. Because there is always more to learn about his character. There's more to experience of his deep love. There's more to enjoy, more to be exposed to. Uh, there's more that needs to be chipped away at me. There's more that I need to know about his loving kindness. There's more for us to know of his mighty works. There's more for us to know of his generosity. There's more for us to know of his wonderful salvation. There's more for us to know about his unfathomable grace. There's more for us to know about his infinite, incredible mercy. There's more for us to know about his holy word. There's more for us to know who the great I am really is. There's more for us to learn who the light of the world is. There's more for us to learn who Emmanuel, God, with us is. There's more for us to learn who El Shaddai is, the God Almighty. There's more for us to learn about who the Adonai is, His majesty. That's spiritual growth. And it is a lifetime journey. And we're going to keep learning as long as we take, until we take our last breath. See, we don't need more intelligent people. We don't even actually need more gifted people. We need people who are deeper into the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, God didn't just save us to be useful. He saved us so we could know him and talk with him and walk with him and be like him. This is why we value spiritual growth. This is why it is a core value because we want everyone to experience this life-transforming journey, adventure that we are on that we call faith. It changes us like we've never been before. And when we discover that he is all that we have, we will discover he is all that we need. Let's pray.